Scripture this morning is Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. You'll find the words on the screen as usual, but before we read them, let's pray together. Thank you, God, for, for this opportunity to open your word, to enter into a story, to think deeply about what's going on in this story, about the words that are being spoken. Come, Holy Spirit, upon us, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds. Open our whole selves up so that we can hear a word from you and be transformed and made new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 1, starting at verse 26, hear these words. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her. We'll go that far. Oh my goodness, what? What a story. I mean, there's hardly any way for us to adequately imagine it, right? The Annunciation, it's called, and by that big fancy word, Annunciation, we simply mean calling. The angel Gabriel appeared to to Mary seemingly out of nowhere. He tells her that she's going to have a baby and that his name will be Jesus and that he will be called the the son of the most high God, that he will reign on the throne of David and that his kingdom will never end. But before he tells her all that, he says to her that she is highly favored and that the Lord, the Lord is with her. God is calling this 14 year old or so little girl out of her routine calling her out of the expectations she has for her own future, calling her, 
calling her out of the way she thinks the world works, calling her to be something great, to be someone great, to do something great. Now, here's the deal. In the Bible, this kind of thing happens all the time. God shows up and calls people and lets them know that, that what they thought their lives were going to turn out to be is far different from how their lives are actually going to turn out to be, all because God. God is calling. And their, and their reaction is almost predictable. It's almost, it's almost the same. There's like a pattern that happens throughout the Bible. Right? God called this guy named Abram. And he was pretty much too shocked to even respond much at all. When his wife Sarai got her called, God promised that she was going to have a, she was going to have a child in her old age. Well, she laughed. There was this guy named Moses. God called him to, to help release the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And when he got his call, he said something like this. Huh? Are you kidding me? Not me. I don't have the skill set needed to do anything like that. I don't even talk very well in front of people. And Mary, she's just as shocked and confused as the rest of them. She must have been thinking to herself, Who, me? Are you, are you kidding me? Am I dreaming? Am I delusional? How can this be since I am a virgin? She was greatly troubled. Luke tells us. Well, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, how did she know that this was an authentic call from God? How did she know? How did she know that Gabriel wasn't just a figment of her imagination? How did she know? Well, we'll never know for sure, but I think the words that Gabriel uses, the names that Gabriel uses, I think maybe those names sort of give her enough to put together the awkward pieces of this puzzling God call. Or maybe it just gave her just enough to know that this is the real deal. Or maybe it gave her just enough to hope that this was actually the real deal. So let's look at these names. Let's just take a look at them one by one because they are weighty and they are good and they are bold and they are beautiful. So let's look at the first name, the favored one. Let's think about that for a little bit. So the angel shows up and Gabriel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. A little later on, he says, you have found favor with God. Mary? Mary's the favored one? Now, at first, this doesn't seem to make very much sense at all. I mean, Mary's got no identifiable qualifications for this. Right? She's just a poor young nobody from a nowhere town called Nazareth. She's not well-connected. She's not politically powerful. She doesn't have a name that should be highly favored. Like She's not connected with anyone who's powerful at all. And yet, Mary, this poor little girl from a nowhere town called Nazareth, she's the favored one? What a startling reality that must have been for her. I mean, to be completely loved, to be completely accepted, to be completely supported and believed in and trusted in by the creator of the universe. It, it must have been that name. You are highly favored. The favored one. It must have been that that tipped her off to the authenticity of this call. Because when you think about it, 
It's just like God to love and accept a complete nobody in the world. There's this guy named Martin Luther. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a sort of a spiritual heavyweight within church history. He was a, listen to this, a German monk. He's a German monk who for years and years and years was just as troubled about, by the sin in his life as anyone could possibly be. Many of the questions that haunted him were questions sort of like these. How can God accept anyone as messed up as me? How can I find favor with God? How can I make sure that God loves me? How can I make God love me more? I mean, he had this terrible feeling and realization that he couldn't do anymore. I mean, think about it. He was a monk living in a monastery, and he was wrestling with those questions. He had this realization, this troubling thought that he just couldn't do it anymore. And then these words gripped his heart. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by anything you do. Not by works. I mean, he finally came to the realization, he finally came to the understanding that he's completely dependent on God's mercy. And that he was saved through Jesus just by sheer grace. It's just by grace. He finally understood that there was nothing in the world he could do to make God love him more than God already did. And that realization, the only thing that did was really change the world forever. After that realization, really, we could think about it as a conversion. He's a monk living in a monastery, and he's finally experiencing conversion, right? Luther set fire to the church and ignited what we know of today as the Protestant Reformation. Luther's discovery was really, was really a rediscovery. He finally figured out what Mary seems to already know, that salvation is a gift. You and me, we're just loved and accepted by God, period. You can, you, can, you can leave this live feed today knowing that you too, you are a favored one. You can't, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than, than God already does. Nothing. What kind of an effect does that have on you right here in this moment? You are highly favored. Well, that's the first one. Here's the second weighty name in this story. Emmanuel. It means God with us. Now, it's true, you're not going to find this in the scripture that we read this morning, like you'll find it in Matthew. But if you're paying attention, it's staring us right in the face. It's actually there while not being there. It's unmistakable. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, honestly, I don't know what you think, but I think that this is one of the most powerful realities in the whole world. Like, it's a reality that ought to shock our senses. It really ought to wake us up. The Lord, the Lord is with you. 
the problem is we just don't think about it very often. We don't think about it as much as we probably ought to. We don't pay attention to this Emmanuel, God with us reality. There's this book written by a guy named Brian McLaren. It's called The The Secret Message of Jesus. It's one of my favorite books. It's actually a book that really, really sort of awakened me to all sorts of different things. I commend it to anyone. In fact, I've thought for a while I might bring a group of people through it. Maybe we'll still do that over Zoom. I don't know. But in it, he deals with this reality. So I want to share it with you. I want, I want you to listen to his words. He says this, most of us in the modern West, religious or irreligious, have inherited a worldview that was formed largely in the 17th century. Think about that. Our world is best compared to a machine. God created the universe like a huge clock. The complex mechanism was designed and wound up from the beginning, was set in motion, and has been ticking away ever since, slowly winding down. From time to time, God reaches in and fiddles with the gears of the clock. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It kind of... If we really think about it, that's sort of how we live our lives. That's, that's the way we think most of the time. Those are the assumptions we make. I mean, the world kind of works all on its own, right? I mean, th that much is obvious. There are certain laws of physics and nature. Right? We learn about them in school, and we, we experience them every day. Things like gravity. It's just the way things work. And these laws govern the way the world works. And if God is anywhere, he's up there somewhere or out there somewhere. And only every once in a while does he sort of reach down or reach in and do something special. And then we call them miracles. Friends, that really isn't the biblical worldview. That's not the worldview that this book gives us. That's not Mary's worldview. I mean, if this 14-year-old girl is going to raise the Son of God, who is going to sit on the throne of David... You better believe she knew that God would have to be with her every step of the way. Remember, she wasn't qualified for this. Who would be? No one would be. Emmanuel. God with us. Is a powerful reality. It's a reality that means that God is with us now and will always be with us every single moment of every single day. That it's reality that means that through anything and everything we go through, sickness, health, failure, success, conflict, peace, the list goes on, God is there with us. So you think you're not good enough? <laughs> you think you're not qualified enough to do something great, to be something great? You think the circumstances of your life are such that you can't do something great or be something great or really deeply meaningful in this world? Think again, Emmanuel, the Lord is with you. Yeah, you. The Lord is with you. Here's the third name, Jesus. Gabriel says, you will be with child and you will give birth to a son. You will give him the name Jesus. Jesus. It's clear. It's concise. You know what it means? It means 
God saves. There's nothing subtle about this name. And this, too, is another big reality. The name Jesus announces that God is working through this particular baby boy to save the world. The whole world. But look, we're not simply talking about flying off to heaven someday when we die. No, no, no. That's small. That's thin theology. We're not just talking about that. It is so, so much bigger and bolder and more revolutionary than just that. The name Jesus announces that God is working through this particular baby boy to heal the whole world, to put things back together again, to to make what's wrong in the world right again. The name Jesus announces that God is working through this particular baby boy to redeem and transform and restore and make everything new, all things new. For you, for me, for all who believe. And it doesn't start after we die. It starts right now in our lives here, in this moment, right here today. Jesus, God is saving you now. God is transforming you now. God is healing you and putting things back together around you right now. How can you participate in that? Anything less than that is really thin. It's not deep enough. It's not big enough. It's not bold enough. The name Jesus announces that God is working through this particular baby boy to put the world back together again. I love it. Here's the fourth name. The son of the most high God. The son of the most high God. Gabriel says to Mary, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. This one's big, too. You know, we tend to use the phrase Son of the Most High God or Son of God without really thinking about what it means. So I want us to think about it like this. If I were to say to you that World War II was the mother of all wars, (laughs) you'd know what I was getting at. It's the war of all wars. It's the quintessential war. If I were to say, because we still talk about Hurricane Katrina today, if I were to say to you that Hurricane Katrina was the mother of all storms, I'd be saying that that storm perfectly captures the essence of what any horrible, terrible storm could actually be. You'd know what I mean. Well, the phrase son of kind of works in that way. I mean, today we would use the phrase, he's a spitting image of, or he's a chip off the old block. Jesus is the son of the most high. He perfectly captures the essence of God. To be, the, to be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the presence of the divine. Paul said this in Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. At this time of year, we we like to think of cute little baby Jesus in the manger, right? Cute little baby Jesus. Forgetting that he is the son of the most high God who has the power to rule the whole universe. The question is, are we prepared to take orders 
from the Son of the Most High God? Leonard Sweet writes about how the Salvation Army put giving trees on all the ferries in Puget Sound. Passengers could pick up a, a Christmas card off the tree, and on those cards were written children's names, and it, and it had all of their Christmas wish lists on there. And the good news was most of the cards were taken. Most of the cards were always taken. The bad news is some cards were left, and it seemed like nobody wanted to pick those cards up and take them home and buy the gifts that were listed on there. And when Leonard asked why, he was told to go over to the, one of the trees and just look. And when he started browsing the cards that were left, he saw things like gaming systems and expensive electronics and iPhones. One of the people working on the ferry walked up beside him and said, now you see why those cards aren't moving? Look at what those kids are asking for. And then he writes, isn't it interesting that these kids are only asking for what every other kid is asking for? Somehow we have the idea that we can give our best to our own children, but not our best to children of outsiders, the children in this world who need our best the most. Friends, it's really easy to follow cute little baby Jesus. He just sits there. Cute little powerless baby in a manger. But we have to remember that, that this cute little baby Jesus grows up and becomes a man. He's the the Son of the Most High God, who makes real demands on our lives, asks us to make real, actual sacrifices, requests real obedience. This cute little cuddly baby Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas morning is the Son of the Most High, who grows up to be a man, who used to say really hard things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If anyone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one to him as well. Give to everyone who begs from you. And that goes on and on and on. It's much easier to think about little baby Jesus. And then later on to think about Jesus dying on the cross so that we can go to heaven someday. It's much harder to pay attention to the stuff in the middle where Jesus actually makes real demands on our lives to give our lives to the world just as he did every single day of his life and finally fully on the cross. Are we ready to take our orders from the Son of the Most High God? Are we ready? So huge. Here's the last one. The Lord's servant. So the story goes, Mary experiences the love and the acceptance of God. I mean, she experiences the Emmanuel, God with us reality. And immediately in that moment, she matures. Immediately in that moment, she grows up. Immediately, she has a faith that's larger and more expansive and bigger. She is transformed 
in that moment into an obedient servant of the Most High God. I am the Lord's servant, she says. But it's deeper than just being a servant. That word servant isn't even necessarily the best translation of that word from the original language. In the Greek, the word is doulos. Do you know what that means? It means slave. Mary is letting go of herself in this moment. She's letting go of her routines. She's she's letting go of the expectations that she has for her own future. She's letting go of even the way she thinks the world actually works. She is now proclaiming that she belongs to God, her life, her whole life, all of it. It's why she's able to look at the angel Gabriel and say, may it be to me as you have said. She just said that. May it be to, may it actually happen. Make it happen. Let it be true because I am here giving you my full self right here, right now, God. I belong to you. Whatever will be, will be. May it be to me. As you have said, she's letting go and sacrificing her whole life in order to do whatever it is that God wants her to do. I am the Lord's servant. All because God was calling. Friends, God still calls people. You know that, right? God is still calling. He's calling you and anybody else who will just pay attention. God is still calling. Always calling. There's nothing delusional about it. Are you listening? Are you expecting that call? How will you respond? Let's pray together.